0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll have an update on the effort to legalize and regulate sports betting in Ohio. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Karina Nova covers a number of topics, including a controversial tweet from Ohio's Lieutenant Governor John Husted. Lots of information about COVID-19 vaccinations, efforts to crack down on hazing at college campuses, and Ohio's new Stand Your Ground law. And in about 45 minutes, I'll wrap up the hour talking to Dr. Carol. Dr. Carol Osborne is a well-known veterinarian from Chagrin Falls in Northeast Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, Greg Beswick, who is uh, the outreach coordinator for the Fair Gaming Coalition of Ohio. How are you? Hi, how are you doing today, Dave? Good, thanks for talking to us. Tell us about the Fair Gaming Coalition of Ohio.
1: Yeah, so the Fair Gaming Coalition of Ohio is made up of uh, small business owners, restaurants, taverns, and entertainment centers like bowling alleys. It's made up of education advocates, um, and then it's also uh, made up of of folks um, who want to see um, sports wagering be able to come uh, to Ohio and help Ohio's uh, economy uh, throughout the state.
0: And there were a couple of uh, bills uh, that were in the state legislature in the last session that were different, slightly different from each other, and, and they both basically ran out of time. So what's going on now?
1: Yeah, so uh, those did run out of time. They had not, I believe, been uh, reintroduced uh, yet. But what's going on now is the Senate, uh, the Ohio Senate, has a uh, select committee committee uh, on gaming, taking a look at sports wagering uh, to see how uh, it should be brought to Ohio, if it should be put in our, our statutes, and how it should be implemented. Um, and the implementation is really important here. You know, we had a problem I guess last time. I don't know if "problem" is the right word, but you know, we gave four areas, more or less, the state-sponsored monopoly. Uh, those are the casinos uh, to be able to do gaming, and that left a lot of people out. Uh, and one thing the casinos and uh, the Fair Gaming Coalition agree on. Is it's the residual spending that really helps the economy, not so much, uh, you know, the actual bets that are played in, in sports betting. Um, and so we want to make sure it helps every community. It doesn't matter if it's Columbus, Ohio, or Lima, or Chillicothe. We want to make sure uh, that you know people who uh, run keno around the state and work through the lottery have an opportunity to take advantage of you know this new economic driver that might be coming to the state.
0: So the residual revenue you're talking about is the money that is spent uh, beyond the bets themselves, but at whatever venue they are at when they're placing those bets.
1: That's correct. It helps the brick-and-mortar restaurants and entertainment centers. Uh, they place a bet um, at a kiosk, like the ones you see that do keynote the video lottery terminals. Um, and then they sit down and watch a game, and they may, uh, you know, buy food or, um, you know, and take a beverage in. Um, or, you know, there's other entertainment uh, with bowling alleys. We're out with a gentleman who's owned the bowling alley for the last 25 years in downtown Lima, and he mentioned that this could be helpful with people come in and they bowl, watch a game, and place a bet, and allow him to kind of come out of, you know, what has been, you know, this pandemic has created a recession for our small businesses around the state. And they look at this as as what could be somewhat of a self-driving stimulus package for
0: them. And the last session in the state legislature, the two bills, one of them would have had the Casino Control Commission oversee sports betting and the other would have had the Ohio Lottery Commission. So what direction is that going to go this time, do you think?
1: that's a good question. I think that's what's being debated right now uh, in the Senate, and that's why we really want people to weigh in uh, with their senators around the state that want to see it everywhere. And that even means where we have casinos, right? Uh, Having somebody get up and uh, leave one side of the county to move to the other side of the county so they could place a bet just doesn't really make sense. Um, when it comes down uh, to this. And so there's two ways this could be done. One, it could go through the casinos. and Again, you're looking at what would be a um, kind of state-sponsored monopoly for four areas. Or you could have it through the Ohio Lottery. Um, And that's what we're advocating for, uh, which means that, again, everyone who uh, partakes in uh, lottery products, would be able to uh, place a sports bet, and I guess I just want to also say is like you know we're not anti casino in this. We actually think there should be a win win situation set up. We think you should be able to walk in to a casino and be able to uh, put down a sports wager, but we also think you should be able to go into your local restaurant, uh, tavern, um, or entertainment center uh, to do that as well. And so we really hope the legislature, advocating for the legislature, uh, to really look at a win-win solution in this um, and allow uh, both entities to ultimately be able to take sports wagering.
0: Talking with Greg Beswick, uh, outreach coordinator for the Fair of Gaming Coalition of Ohio, isn't there also possibly a mobile aspect to this where you could just use your phone and not be anywhere in particular? Yes, and that's being debated,
1: and I think that's something that needs to be, uh, you know, they're taking a look at. At the end of the day, we got to make sure that this ends up in our brick and mortars as well. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, someone just sitting uh, in their house and being a wager a bet, again, I don't know if we're necessarily saying that that shouldn't happen. Um, But we would like to see, to be able to help our economy throughout the state. Brick and mortars have access to this, uh, where they, you know, they decide if they want to participate in lottery products. And if they so choose to do that, they can help administer the games. And again, I think help drive uh, customers uh, into uh, their establishments.
0: So is the expectation with this uh, Senate Select Committee on Gaming that a member of that committee will eventually put forth a bill based on what they hear in testimony, or what?
1: Yeah, I think we're at a critical point. I think within the next two to three weeks, you'll see a bill that's introduced. Um, And again, we think it needs to have that uh, uh, win-win solution uh, for casinos and uh, for the lottery. Um, But yeah, I think one will come out uh, from that. And you know, there's a reason to think this is going to be done and done soon. Uh, You've had Uh, the committee meeting and, and taking hearings on it. President Huffman, uh, in some conversations uh, of the Senate uh, from the Lima area, has said that uh, he thinks something will be done between now and the end of June, which is when they recess with the budget. Um, And even uh, Governor DeWine uh, said in a a recent article that, you know, sports betting is already taking place in Ohio. It's not regulated, and this is inevitable. So this is coming down uh, the um, road for Ohioans, um, and I think it's really about, at the end of the day, uh, making sure that people understand how it can be implemented and how it can help um, all corners of the state.
0: Once a bill is introduced, though, it would undergo hearings again, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, the bill would get hearings, um, and obviously there's there's opportunity uh, to make amendments. Um, after being around the legislature, some myself... Uh, You know, the goal is always to have it in the best form as it gets introduced uh, than trying to make drastic changes um, after it's introduced. And so that's why right now with these hearings, I think the hearings have been good. I think the hearings have allowed a lot of people to be in front of the uh, committee members who ultimately will uh, they'll pick one to, to drop the bill.
0: You mentioned the bowling alley in Lima, and I know the other day you were involved in at a news conference with uh, the mayor of Lima talking about this kind of thing. What is your take on what folks in communities like that are thinking about this issue?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you this. I mean, they feel really left out when the state decided to only allow four uh, areas to have casinos. Uh, I think they felt uh, at a place like Lima, which is, you know, it, it's interesting, it's uh, 75 miles from Uh, the Columbus Casino and 85 miles from the Toledo Casino, and so I think they felt like that might be a good center for where a casino could ultimately be and draw from two large populations. That said, they don't want to be, they don't want to have the opportunity to miss out um, uh, this time, and it's why Mayor Berger of Lima uh, signed on in support uh, the Fair Gaming Coalition. Our goal to make this, um, this a lottery product or have the lottery involved in the product. Uh, because again, he's looking at the gentleman who owns the bowling alley and the restaurants he goes into, and looks at this as a way for them to, you know, have somebody sit down and and, and, and spend a little bit of money. And you know, it does spending money does three things, right? Obviously, it helps that small business that provides jobs. It helps the tax base, right? Uh, that uh, is, is put out there from the spending. And then third, you know, the lottery profits. Uh, goes to increase um, funding for public education. And so we look at this as kind of a win-win-win, having a chance for it to go through the lottery um, than just rather sitting in the casinos. And then one item that's out there uh, from the American Gaming Association is that when uh, sports betting goes through uh, lotteries rather than casinos, um, you know, 20 to 22 cents uh, goes to public education. Um, and then compared to about uh, four to five cents uh, with casinos, um, and so you know part of that might just be overhead, I, you know, and those type of things. But the point being is, um, you know, there's a chance for us to, you know, help the people who are providing jobs, you know, making sure that our, our our cities are funded, and a chance for us to help public education. And you know, I don't think you can go wrong with that that formula.
0: Talking with Greg Beswick, he's the Outreach Coordinator for the Fair Gaming Coalition of Ohio. So when it comes to sports betting in Ohio, are they getting into details on exactly what people would be able to bet on?
1: Uh, there's, they've had some testimony on it. I think that's still actually uh, being um, discussed. Um, and, you know, like a lot of it's been like, you know, what games can you bet on? Should you only be able to bet on that day's games, those type of things? And so there's um, discussions that have gone on. Um, about how we would actually look at um, betting in Ohio um, and it may be daily uh, games but that is still being up for debate um, I believe in front of the Senate committee.
0: Would you expect college uh, to be involved in it as well?
1: You know I'm not completely sure I know that like when you look at other states some have involved in co- involved college and some have not uh, but I you know wouldn't be surprised um, if it opened up and you look at some of the states that that would be available to folks.
0: And in some areas, or in Vegas, I guess there's an unbelievable number of odd aspects of of a game that you can bet on, like who's you know who fumbles first. There's almost an endless number of topics that people could end up betting on. I guess, right?
1: Yeah. Ultimately, you know, this is going to go. Uh, if, if it goes to the lottery, will go into uh, key around the state. I don't know if we would see the number of, like you mentioned, prop bets, right, that uh, we saw around, like the Super Bowl, who you know, who wins the coin toss, and those type of things, be available to folks. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, you're looking at uh, wagering on a game, winner loser, uh, cover spread, those type of things. Um, I don't know if you'd have the number of prop bets that you would have in a place like uh, Vegas or where you see in, on some of these online. online online sites and you know the online sites are very interesting because you know right now you got to look at this is that's just revenue that leaves the state and it uh, goes, you know, it's all through the, you know, obviously um, the internet, and there's no residual effects that, that help. And you know, you got the same problem with the casinos to some extent. You know, the casinos started as off uh, being owned uh, locally, and most of them have been sold uh, to outside of the interest, uh, outside of Ohio interests uh, that uh, pro- provide uh, gaming for folks. And so, again, you know, we're really advocating for uh, having something that can can help Ohio, and I think that's really important as we, you know, move into, you know, um, out of the pandemic and, and people being out being able to be out and about and for their enjoyment and entertainment, but also uh, for everything that I mentioned before, uh, how this can be helpful.
0: What do you say to folks who oppose gambling or maybe have a problem with gambling?
1: Well, I think it's, it's what Governor Dewine said in a press conference. Uh, it's it's kind of inevitable, and right now it's in the state and it's unregulated. And that if we bring uh, if we end up allowing the state to do it, it can be regulated. And anytime you have an industry like this that can be regulated, I think is a, in a better spot with folks uh, than than unregulated um, and it be uh, conducted uh, on the internet. And so I kind of agree with uh, Governor Dewine in the sense that, like, I think there's a better way for us to look at it and how it can be applied to the state than how it is now.
0: Would you expect a a small portion of the revenue to go to uh, programs to help people with problem gambling?
1: Yeah, I think that's always a part of it. I think that's part of, like, the advertising budget. I think that's actually part of the lottery's budget. Um, Obviously, you see the signs in casinos as well. And so I do think that there will be budgetary money that would set aside that you would see that happen either through the organizations that are are already – You know, mandated to do that, um, or I could see it end up in the the legislation as well. I mean, you know, the issue out right now is we have not seen a piece of legislation, right? And so uh, we're trying to get it in the best format as it comes out, um, and people can start uh, going through it.
0: Talking with Greg Beswick, outreach coordinator for the Fair Gaming Coalition of Ohio. Do you expect something to be approved before the end of the year?
1: Yeah. I actually think we'll, we will, we'll probably see something be, uh, by the end of uh, June, um, you know, when they uh, get, wrap up the budget and uh, they go home for recess. Um, I think they've uh, worked hard in committee, right, They, they hear uh, from all interested parties. Um, and then from there I think they're going to craft legislation. The goal would be um, to uh, move it through and get it done by the end of June and obviously there'll be some implementation uh, timeline uh, with that. The other thing I'd say about that is like, you know, this is obviously something that could just be dropped into the budget is a, it's a revenue driver that's um, a sustainable revenue driver and we also have a school funding bill uh, that's uh, moving through the legislature pretty quick and all this seems to kind of coincide together um, and so with that I could see something being done uh, in the next few months.
0: Once the legislation is put in place, it'll be a complicated setup, just like when the casinos came along, to get all the uh, the ducks in a row to get it actually operating.
1: Well, it's funny you say that. I think it'll be tougher for the casinos than it will be for the Ohio Lottery. So the Ohio Lottery kiosks actually have, uh, when they got put into place, uh, availability for 10 games. They've got nine games. Uh, in them right now and um, with that allows the 10th game to be uh, sports betting with the fact that who the state would probably contract with around uh, the country they probably could get that up and going a lot quicker than you would would think Um, I don't want to say flip of a switch uh, but I do think that uh, it would be able to get out in front of folks uh, uh, pretty quickly
0: anything else you want to add Greg?
1: You know, the only other thing is I just really want to emphasize a, a couple things. You know, we've got uh, the fact that you got a, a coalition, again, of of small business owners you know, uh, education advocates and elected officials coming together to to really advocate for the lottery just to be a lottery product and having the lottery be involved in some way, shape, or form. Um, and that's really, again, going to help, you know, drive jobs and for small businesses. It's going to uh, help, uh, obviously, with the tax base and then, obviously, with school funding. And we just want to make sure, too, that, like, you know, this is done the right way. Um, and we've just got to kind of watch. You know, there's a Progress Ohio uh, report that came out. Uh, That's online that, you know, kind of talked about some of the same lobby groups uh, that was around the House Bill 6, the um, energy scandal, the bailout scandal kind of lining up on this as well. And so, you know, we don't want to, you know, uh, sit there and and see a situation where we pass something that's supposed to be good and help people and then see some of the uh, residual effects we saw from, from that issue. And so we're working really hard to make sure people are educated about the issue how it can help every corner of the state, regardless if you're driving from you know, a suburb into uh, you know, over to a casino or if you can sit just right there, or if you are a place like we said, Lima, Ohio, um, and don't have access to, to this type of item and you want to partake, we're just trying to make sure that we have an opportunity to help all parts of the state and, and, and help, again, with jobs and, and, and uh, residual spending uh, that helps cities and um, public education funding.
0: Is there any more online where folks can kind of keep an eye on what's going on with this issue?
1: Yeah, you know, what we've been doing is we've been updating a uh, Facebook uh, page quite a bit uh, with the uh, articles uh, that come out and, and the interviews that are done um, and then updates as, as, as when the legislation starts moving forward. And so if people just go to Fair Gaming uh, Coalition of Ohio. Uh, they can uh, take a look at that, and we've been updating that quite regularly.
0: Okay, Greg Beswick, he's the Outreach Coordinator for the Fair Gaming Coalition of Ohio. Thanks so much for the information.
1: Oh, thanks, Dave. This has been uh, fun. And uh, and if you have an opportunity and folks want to, contact your senator and make sure that it's uh, done through uh, every local business.
2: Opiates
3: has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything.
4: I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning
5: opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP.
1: Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their requests to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus. Columbus 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and thanks for listening.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Karina Nova from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. I
6: I am going to hold people, it. I'm apologize? going to hold it. I didn't offend anybody. You didn't offend I anybody? On,
1: I focused on How trying. did you not offend anybody?
7: Lieutenant Governor John Husted is doubling down on his controversial tweet in which he called the coronavirus the Wuhan virus. And Ohio takes a step back when it comes to ending pandemic health orders. We talk with experts about what could be causing the spike in COVID-19 cases. And Ohio colleges and universities are gearing up to get more students vaccinated against COVID-19. Thank you for joining us for Face the State. I'm Karina Nova and for Tracy Townsend. Lieutenant Governor John Husted continues to say he did nothing wrong when calling COVID-19 the Wuhan virus on Twitter. That prompted 70 people who live in Husted's neighborhood to send a letter asking him to have a conversation with them about cultural sensitivity. Husted responded to the backlash by saying Wuhan is not an ethnicity and that he empathized with Chinese Americans because of what the Chinese government has done in relation to COVID-19. He said in no way is the spread of COVID-19 the fault of the Chinese people, but he's making no apology for saying Wuhan virus. 10TV's Kevin Landers pressed him to respond.
6: I'm going to hold people, it. Why wouldn't you I'm apologize? Hold it. I didn't offend anybody. You didn't offend I anybody? On, I focused on
1: on. How trying- did you not offend anybody? They wrote a letter asking you to meet with them because they were so
4: upset.
7: Houston walked off without answering any more questions. He said he wanted to make clear that his comments were not directed towards anyone or any ethnicity. Ohio took some steps backward in the fight to lift health orders. The state says cases per 100,000 are now up when it comes to coronavirus. That's one of the reasons why local health experts are concerned about another spike. 10TV's Angela Reigert talked with Dr. Andrew Thomas with Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center about the possible reason behind the recent increases. In the U.S., we're seeing this increase in COVID-19 cases while we're you know seeing more people getting
3: shots in arms. I know a lot of people are just kind of wondering, how do we make sense of this? Um, sure. What's your take?
8: Well, I think it's probably a bit of a different story in every different state, right? Each geographic locality has a slightly different set of circumstances. But I think in general... Uh, We're certainly seeing, you know, coming out of the winter, the weather's better, people are out and just doing more. I think if you drive down High Street through the short north or, you know, other parts of town where there are social areas, you see a lot more people out. Uh, It's a natural inclination. We've talked a lot about COVID fatigue in the past, and I think this is just another example after what's been a really long uh, winter Um, I I think the other uh, thing that we've been talking about now for a couple of months uh, are the variants that are coming into the region. Certainly, Ohio is a little bit behind some other parts of the country in terms of the percentage of our COVID cases. There are those variants uh, that are probably more contagious. So if you come into contact with someone who has COVID, it takes less virus getting in your nose or mouth for you to get sick. So it just goes from person to person more easily. What it really comes down to uh, to prevent another spike in cases is following the advice we talked about from the beginning, masking, distancing, avoiding large crowds, certainly washing your hands, other things like that, um, and then getting vaccinated.
7: In an effort to get more Ohioans vaccinated, 18 mass vaccination clinics across the state are opening. 10 TV's Richard Solomon got an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at one of these clinics in Chillicothe.
5: Their goal is to vaccinate at least 4,000 people a week at this new mass vaccination clinic. And already, it's feeding a huge need in this community.
6: This is the hub for the vaccines for, for the area.
5: And it's that simple reason alone why Roger Riglin is smiling behind his mask.
6: It's gonna help put an end to this
5: COVID nonsense. I'm here to do with my part. <laughs> Riglin lives in Chillicothe, and he didn't have to travel far to get his vaccine. He got it right here, the new PACAR Mass Vaccination Clinic, one of 18 clinics in Ohio. This, opening the doors to what Dave Tippy says could be a safe
1: Ohio. Well, we're expecting up to 800 a day, and we're running five days a week, Monday through Friday.
5: Tippy says the clinic is ran by nearly 10 different departments. On our exclusive tour, he gave me a look at how the process could work for you. Once you show up for your appointment, you're directed into this room. You'll fill out your info, then head to roll up your sleeve. Once you're finished, you move to this waiting area. Tippy says this is to make sure you're okay walking out the door.
2: We're, we're focusing on 14 counties, so we're getting a lot of south and southeastern counties. I, th- I think it'll be good.
0: Good for the community, good for the citizens. I think it's a good thing. It's a good setup.
5: This setup is so easy, it only took Reigland 30 minutes. In this clinic... All clinics around Ohio will help get us to a better future.
6: There are so many things that people missed out on, uh, weddings, birthday parties, you know, so many things. And now we can maybe get back to a little bit of normal. Reporting in
5: Chillicothe, Richard Solomon. 10TV News.
7: The Chillicothe Clinic will give out the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Ohioans as young as 16 started getting the COVID-19 vaccine, and Pfizer came out with a study saying its vaccine is safe for kids as young as 12. 10 tv Stephanie Stanovich looks at a clinical trial happening here in Ohio that involves that younger group. For some people, getting the COVID-19 vaccine is a little
3: nerve-wracking.
4: I was hesitant at first.
3: And with people 16 years and older now eligible.
4: I think I'm more nervous for her than I am for myself. Um, I think because I guess they went down the line so quickly with um, the age group.
3: This is Tamara McCall and her 17-year-old daughter, Addison McCall, who says she's also a little nervous.
4: Because it was new
3: and um, not knowing if it was tested on Um, people my age or. Addison missed most of her sophomore year experiences like cheerleading and spending time with loved ones. She says she wants to get the vaccine to get back to normal and because her mom got it. At first I was kind of hesitant but now that I've read up on it and that I've gained a lot more information it makes me want to get it because I haven't been able to participate in a lot of things.
2: We've (laughs) advised healthy young people to have the vaccine to protect their family members and those about them.
3: Dr. Mark Herbert is an infectious disease specialist with Mount Carmel Medical Group. He's not Addison's doctor, but he is a coronavirus expert. I
2: would expect uh, a teenager would have the same type of immune system reactivity that an adult would.
3: While Addison is waiting to get her vaccine, other teens in Cincinnati have been part of a clinical trial for Pfizer since October. It's currently the only vaccine approved for teens 16 and up. Okay, set. Cincinnati Children's Hospital provided 10TV with this video of teens from that trial. I was excited to keep doing this so that they could be getting better and more accurate results. Cincinnati Children's Hospital inoculated children between the ages of 5 and 11 as the next phase of that trial. Cincinnati Children's is one out of four sites for Pfizer trials involving kids. For Addison, while research with kids continues, she's trusting the experts. To me, that matters the most. Like, they're the ones that probably have better understanding, have done way more research than me. In Columbus, Stephanie Sanovich,
7: 10TV News. Cincinnati Children's is starting with eight kids ages 5 to 11 to consider the best dosage. Those kids will get a smaller dose to determine the right dose for them. Governor Mike DeWine wants every college student at both state and private schools to have a chance to get the Johnson & Johnson shot right on campus. Every college campus is doing this rollout a little differently. Ohio State University President Christina Johnson says the university will dedicate 25% of Wexner Medical Center's vaccines to students, faculty, or staff who want one. Ohio University will have clinics every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for two weeks.
9: I think doing it on the college campus, very convenient for the students. They see other college students doing it. I think that that will increase the percentage of college students who are willing willing to get it.
7: According to the governor, there are no plans for schools to require the COVID vaccine at this time. Also, employers will have the chance to offer vaccines at their workplaces. Speaking of college campuses, leadership at Ohio State addressed questions about the future and what the fall semester will look like.
8: Uh, We will continue uh, to expect that we have some sort of testing regimen in the fall. It may be adjusted based upon the science as we move forward through the summer. Uh, Likely that we would continue to uh, see mask uh, wearing as, as part of our regular operations.
7: The university plans to continue to be flexible, saying they're going to depend it on what the science says. You might be wondering what happens after you've been vaccinated. Safety measures may be here to stay for a while longer. 10TV's Lindsey Mills verifies.
10: If you recently got vaccinated or have an appointment to do so, you may be ready to ditch the mask, but you might not be able to do that just yet. Let's verify. Our sources are Dr. Kristen Englund, an infectious disease expert at the Cleveland Clinic, and Dr. Susan Colatar, the director of Division of Infectious Diseases at the OSU Wexner Medical Center. So you got the shot, and you feel like you're one step closer to the life you knew before the pandemic. Sorry to burst your bubble, but medical experts say a mask is still a must for now. That's because the vaccine is not an automatic switch to turn off the pandemic. Only once we get to probably about 70 to 80% of Americans being vaccinated are we really going to be able to let down our guard. While you may be protected, we need to make sure that we're still protecting all of those around us who may or may not have been vaccinated yet. So here's why you'll still need that mask. One, it will take a little while for the vaccine to kick in. It takes two weeks from your Johnson & Johnson shot or your last Moderna or Pfizer shot. Two, the vaccines do not 100% protect you from getting COVID-19, just like the flu. If you get the flu shot, you could still get it. And three, the virus is changing. We don't know about all the variants that are being seen. Nobody likes to wear masks. I don't like to wear masks. (laughs) And, you know, and I'm sitting in a room by myself right at the moment, so that's why I don't have a mask on. But when I go out, I, I think it's important to wear a mask we're getting there. Another thing to keep in mind, because you could still get the virus, you could be asymptomatic and spread it to others without knowing it. Another reason to keep that mask on a little longer. Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News.
7: The push to crack down on hazing in Ohio's colleges and universities took center stage at the statehouse. Hear the emotional message from Colin Wyant's mother as she pleaded for change.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
1: 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself.
4: All right, where's the wound? 911, what's your emergency?
6: Please help. My son
9: shot
4: his brother. I don't know Okay.
8: Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council
0: and End Family Fire. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Still to come on Columbus Perspective, Dr. Carroll, a veterinarian from Northeast Ohio. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV.
7: At the state house, a mother made a plea for safety on college campuses. Colin Wyant's mother spoke to state senators about passing Colin's law. Colin was a student at Ohio University who died after being hazed by members of his fraternity. Colin's mom, Kathleen, pushed the Senate committee to crack down on hazing and make it a felony.
4: This bill is about changing a culture where hazing is accepted and even expected. This bill is about saving lives. We currently have a culture that dismisses hazing with this boys-will-be-boys mentality. That is exactly the mentality that perpetuates hazing. When reprehensible acts like beatings and waterboards are dressed up with words like tradition, ritual, brotherhood, or rite of passage, we then call it hazing. We need to call it what it really is. It's abuse and it's barbaric. Each year, a million and a half high school students are hazed. At the collegiate level, 55 percent of students in clubs, teams, and organizations are hazed and don't report it. Hazing is only reported 5 percent of the time. We don't realize how widespread it is because the only time we hear about hazing is when there's a death and it makes the news. But what about all the hazing that doesn't make the headlines? The kids who are traumatized from hazing or hospitalized? The kids who become depressed or suicidal because of hazing? the kids who suffer PTSD, the kids who will never be the same person again because of hazing.
0: Do you have any message for uh, boards of directors at universities and colleges, uh, for uh, deans? Uh, What would you like to say to them short of, uh, here we are trying to pass legislation, Uh, why haven't you just taken care of this?
4: Yeah. uh, And I I think what I would say to them is that they need to have a zero tolerance for hazing on their campus in any organization. You know, it's not just Greek systems. It's in clubs and teams. It's in rugby teams. It's in marching bands. um, And campus-wide, they need to have zero tolerance for any type of hazing.
7: Now, this is a new version of the bill that stalled in committee last year. This new bill would also provide more education to parents and students regarding what hazing is, and it would increase transparency within institutions about past violations of conduct. This push comes after Stonefolds, a sophomore at Bowling Green State University, died in an alleged hazing incident. The Ohio Senate is considering a bill that would cut the sales and use tax on diapers. Supporters say diapers for children and adults are necessary for health, and they're not a luxury. The bill would need to make it out of committee to get a vote on the Senate floor. Ohioans have more places to legally defend themselves using deadly force. That's an the state's no-duty-to-retreat law. Reporter Kevin Landers explains what it means.
1: The no duty to retreat law expands the areas where Ohioans can now use deadly force. Until now, you were confided to your house or your car. Now you can use deadly force anywhere you're legally allowed to be. Ohio joins more than 30 other states that have adopted this stand-your-ground law. While supporters say the law is about protecting everyone's right to self-defense, others worry it could give more people the right to use violence instead of retreating from a confrontation.
10: This law is very harmful for Ohio and Ohioans of color. This law allows an excuse for white people who are fearful of people of color to go ahead and act on your fear.
0: If you're in a situation
1: where you feel you need to defend your life, you're able to do that without the secondary consideration of whether or not you think you might be able to run away.
2: The bill prohibits the jury from considering whether the person could have retreated.
4: It's just like pull out, shoot first, and think about it later. To shoot and kill. To me, it's like opening up Pandora's box for anyone to just shoot and kill at will
1: the bill also gives civil protections when lethal force is used in places of worship but will this law make ohio safer will it also lead to more homicides as opponents have suggested reporting from the state house, kevin landers 10 tv news
7: amtrak wants to add a stop right here in columbus a look at what needs to happen to make that extra form of transportation a reality and unemployment fraud is a growing problem in Ohio. Ten investigates looks at how Google and other tech companies are stepping in to help fix that issue.
0: You must call 811 at least 2 to 3 business days before any digging project. So before you do this or this. Make sure you do this. For digging projects, big or small, make the call to 811. We are advocates.
4: We are defenders. We are the Association of Zoos and Aquariums dedicated to the conservation of Earth's precious wildlife sea turtles, African penguins, and countless endangered species. See for yourself at slash join us. I get it. Your desk has been there for you. Holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my
3: week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart.
4: Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Still to come on Columbus Perspective, Dr. Carroll, a veterinarian from Northeast Ohio. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV.
7: Amtrak wants to bring passenger rail services right here to Central Ohio, and Columbus City Council is hopping on board with that idea. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio explains what's next.
1: The last passenger train through Columbus was... In
9: 1979, the last passenger train to come through central Ohio was in 1979.
2: This is an option we don't have. Uh, and and it's a much-needed option.
9: Stu Nicholson is the executive director of All Aboard Ohio. He's been pushing for passenger trains in the region for years, and in early February, he got a glimmer of hope. Amtrak has five routes they're pushing for that would connect Ohio to the rest of the map, including one that would run through Columbus that would connect the 3C corridor, connecting Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. And now the city of Columbus has stepped in.
2: I think that this is really about uh, connectivity, about jobs, and about the economy here in Ohio.
9: The city of Columbus passed a unanimous resolution in support of Amtrak's proposal. Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Dayton have already done the same thing.
2: Getting their approval last night means that we now have Uh, resolutions of support for the Amtrak expansion from all of the major cities in the 3C and D corridor.
9: In February, Amtrak said they need help from Congress to fund the project. Last year, federal funding passed in the House of Representatives, but failed in the Senate. Now people like Stu are waiting to see what happens next.
2: We think this is a good thing for Ohio.
9: Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News.
7: Amtrak released the company's 2035 vision. It includes a proposal for at least 30 new routes, enhancing 20 existing routes, as well as bettering service to cities, including Cincinnati. But to make it happen, Amtrak needs more funding from Congress. Amtrak's plan comes as President Joe Biden pushes for a plan to fix America's roads and bridges. Under the plan, more than $600 billion would go to rebuild thousands of miles of highways and repair old bridges. It also upgrades major airports, expands affordable housing and clean drinking water.
0: It's big, yes. It's bold, yes. And we can get it done.
7: The administration says it'll be paid for by an overhaul of the country's corporate tax policy. Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman responded, saying this is the wrong approach and will only undermine our economy at a time when we are beginning to recover. Tenants who have fallen behind on rent during the pandemic have a little more time to catch up. The Biden administration is once again extending the federal moratorium on evictions. It's now extended through the end of June. The pandemic caused a record number of Ohioans to file for unemployment. And with that came the massive problem of unemployment fraud. The state of Ohio has hired Google to help fight it. Chief investigative reporter Bennett Haverly takes a closer look at the extreme measures some have taken
4: to defraud the system. My anxiety is uh, put it that way.
2: After losing her job, Anita Aiken says she has relied on unemployment. But when a recent check didn't arrive... She called the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services.
4: And they had me to verify my bank account information. And that's when, when I verified, that's when it wasn't matching up. And they told me that it went to a gold card and it was um, changed on Saturday the 20th. Um, I'm like, I didn't change anything. um, So I don't know what's going on.
2: March 20th is a date that already sticks out. It's the anniversary of her son's death. Carlos Hardiman was shot and killed nine years ago. The case remains unsolved to this day. Adding insult to injury, Anita says the unemployment office had to temporarily freeze her account while it investigates the issue. It also means she didn't get paid for that week.
4: It's already hard. You're dependent on something and that's not even coming through to even take care of the, the bills that you do have.
2: The Ohio Department of Job and Family Services says hacks and unemployment scams have been widespread during the pandemic. The state, too, has fallen victim, paying out nearly $230 million in fraudulent unemployment claims. Ohio is now spending at least another $14 million hiring these companies to help combat fraud and streamline the process so legitimate claims can be paid. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Blake Hall is the CEO of ID.me. The company has been hired by 22 states to help combat fraud. Ohio is not one of them. Hall said his company uses live video chats to help verify people's identities. And even then, he says people have attempted to scam the system by wearing masks. And not just, you know, some of the time, two to two and a half percent of all claims Uh, is obvious fraud,
8: where it's like an image of the victim or an iPad video or a
2: mask like that. ODJFS says it couldn't comment on the specifics of Anita's case, but urged people to protect their bank information. Anita says she's concerned because she believes someone somehow got into her account on the state's unemployment website and redirected her money.
4: My personal bank account wasn't affected. Nothing else has been affected. It was just your website that my information got changed on. And if other people's has gotten changed as well, then there's an issue somewhere.
2: Bennett Haberly, Tenant Investigates.
4: And that does it for us today. Thank you for being
7: here with us. We'll see you next week here on Face the State.
0: That's again, Karina Nova, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
9: Long ago you wouldn't think of galloping on a horse while doing calligraphy and you wouldn't have attempted to ride your bike while typing a letter yet you think you can safely operate a multi-ton vehicle while texting behind the wheel is no place to multitask if you want to BRB drive now and text
4: later lives depend on it Visit stoptextstoprex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council.
5: Did you know that prescription pain relievers have contributed to more overdose deaths than cocaine and heroin combined? Talk with your kids about the dangers of
8: medicine abuse. Visit drugfree.org to learn more. A message from the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids. (laughs) ¶¶¶¶
0: This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me from Chagrin Falls, east of Cleveland, is integrative veterinarian Dr. Carol Osborne. How are you?
6: Very good, Dave. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for talking to us. What is an integrative veterinarian? Well, an integrative veterinarian is
6: someone that integrates or combines the traditional Western conventional therapies with uh, the Eastern natural holistic therapies, we do that for each pet that walks through our veterinary clinic door so that we can try to optimize their health care, offer the very best products uh, and suggestions for treatments, etc. for each
0: pet. And I guess just like, you know, over the last uh, 10 or 20 years, it seems like pets have become more and more cherished members of the family. And I would guess that people are trying to find the healthiest way to care for them just like themselves.
6: Absolutely. People their four-legged pets uh, equally as loved, if not in some cases more so, uh, than their two-legged children. So, yes, people will go to incredible lengths to offer their pets the very best of everything.
0: And here we are in April, and I guess we're heading into flea and tick season.
6: We, we, we are. In fact, Dave, when the soil temperatures rise above 45 degrees for two or three weeks, that's when everything starts and um, I'm not sure about Columbus but it was uh, over 80 degrees here uh, yesterday right. in the Cleveland chagrin Falls area
0: and so as these uh, pests become active uh, what does that mean for the for the dog and cat at home
6: well the best do when it, when it comes to fleas and bugs and mosquitoes and all kinds of pesky little parasites like that is, is prevention. Uh, pre- prevention is key. Now, if you're looking for natural prevention, there, there are many things you can do. Uh, in fact, starting within your home, because you have to remember, fleas do not live on your pet. They live in the environment, uh, your home and outside. They only jump on your pets, your dogs, your cats, even yourself, uh, long enough to take a blood meal, and then hop back down to the ground and lay a million more eggs. So, uh, as far as natural prevention within the home, you can go to any grocery store to the, go to the laundry detergent section, buy a box of borax. It'll cost you seven dollars for a pound. You can. Sprinkle it all over your floors and carpets, leave it on for an hour or so, and vacuum it up, and that will give you one year of natural flea prevention within the home. Really? That is effective uh, and terribly economical. Hmm. They have companies that will come out and do the same thing, only they charge you three hundred dollars. Wow. Uh, so, so that's easy enough to do. With respect uh, to your yard. Uh, if you have a small manageable yard and you want to try to sort of get a leg up, uh, you can actually, uh, buy, uh, nematodes, uh, at you know, your local garden store and you sprinkle them around the perimeters of the home. And, um, they will, uh, get rid of your fleas and your ants and termites and grubs and all kinds of things like that. You just, uh, sprinkle it around the perimeters, um, and add a little bit of water and, uh, they're actually living organisms, and they gobble up a lot of those pesky parasites. Um, again, within the home, uh, if you have hardwood floors, that's a favorite spot for the fleas to lay eggs. Um, be uh, good with your vacuum. Vacuum your home up at least once a week. Pay particular attention to the hardwood floors. With respect uh, to your to your dogs and cats, there are... Uh, many, many choices Uh, through your veterinarian. There are usually conventional choices um, that consist of edibles as well as topicals that the pets usually uh, ingest, if you will, at at 30-day intervals. Uh, Many of those are effective. I always caution people when you see some of these products that last for three plus months, um, be very, very careful. Those are strong chemicals that have all kinds of nasty side effects, many of which um, are are not healthy or good.
0: I was going to ask you about, uh, like flea collars or the drops that you put on the back of their neck, are those effective or recommended?
6: Well, um, with respect to flea collars, you have to remember, first of all, that in the dog, the predilection site is the hind end, the rump, the tail head, and the groin. So the flea collar around the neck is somewhat counterintuitive. Uh, In cats... The favorite spot that fleas like is the head and the neck. So a flea collar would probably make more sense in a cat. There is a flea collar out. It's a very popular one. It's very, very strong. It's very, very effective. Seresto, it's a Seresto flea collar. And I want to tell you that just under 1 million complaints have been sent to the EPA. There are hundreds and hundreds of pets that have died as a result of that Seresto collar. In fact, there are some little children, human children, that sleep with their pets uh, that have gone into epileptic convulsions and had to be hospitalized because of the strength of the chemicals in that collar. So I would never recommend that anyone would buy that. And before you put any kind of a collar on your pet, you should be darn sure that you You know exactly what those chemicals are and what you may or may not expect. Now, on the other hand, uh, if if your pet has a little bandana around his neck, you can um, get these different essential oils. uh, Rosemary uh, and peppermint would be two examples, and you can put two or three drops on once a week. Uh, They help to repel the fleas. They smell nice, and they're not toxic. So that that's kind of the other side of the coin, if you will.
0: Talking with veterinarian Dr. Carol Osborne from Chagrin Falls, and the drops that you put behind uh, the dog or cat's neck, are those effective? Um,
6: depending on the drops you get, there are um, various products available over-the-counter at Walmart and all these different pet stores. And, and I think that depending on exactly where you live and what, what the history is, some of them work um, – and some of them don't. One way to find out is you can take your dog, um, put him on a, on a white sheet or a white towel, and get one of those little flea combs and, and comb the tail head, you know, his rear end, and then look down at the towel. And if you see little black and brown specks that look like pepper, if you get those specks wet, and they turn red, um, you'll have your diagnosis because a flea feces is nothing more than dried blood. Hmm. You could do the same thing to your kitty, but you would want to comb the head and the neck area and look for those little specks that look like pepper. You can even, if you want to find out, if you've got fleas in the home, put on a pair of white socks, shuffle your feet on the floor. If you have hardwood floors, don't forget to shuffle them in the cracks of that hardwood and then pick up your foot and look at the bottom of that sock, and if you see those little specks that look like pepper, I think you've got your diagnosis.
0: Great information. What about the threats of illness to dogs and cats caused by fleas? Uh, What are they at risk for?
6: blood which can cause anemia Uh, some fleas again depending on exactly where you live uh, can transmit various diseases uh, like the bubonic plague which uh, was somewhat popular last year and was kind of traveling through the country so um, it is a good idea to use some kind of a preventative that's um, that you feel is effective and when you're not sure it's always a good idea to talk to your veterinarian
0: and ticks and dogs i know that can be a problem
6: well, ticks in dogs are a problem, and to be honest with you, David, the ticks are becoming more and more abundant and more and more of a nuisance. And the problem with some of these ticks is they transmit a slew of diseases, not only to the dog, but diseases that the dog can give to you and I. Um, Lyme's disease is one that many people are, you know, are familiar with, but Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Ehrlichiosis, Anaplasmosis, um, there's a whole variety, so the problem with ticks is they're a lot different than fleas and mosquitoes, so a lot of these little natural remedies that we talk about that are really just great for the fleas, um, They just don't work when it comes to ticks. Um, There are some products like NexGard, for example, available through your veterinarian, that is absolutely effective Uh, For the ticks As well as the fleas Um, Whenever you're going to use Kind of strong chemicals like that You want to make sure that your pet is healthy You know he doesn't suffer from seizures Or epilepsy Because a lot of those chemicals Can perpetuate uh, Neurologic conditions like that So once again you're back To talking to your veterinarian Who should always be your first line of defense When it comes to your pet's health
0: Talking with Dr. Carol Osborne from Chagrin Falls. You know, the pandemic, terrible for people, but uh, it's been a boon for for pets because mom and dad are home almost all the time. Is that going to cause some anxiety as people get back into the workplace?
6: anxiety, we actually refer to it uh, as separation anxiety, um, has become quite a topic as mom and dad and kids get ready to go back to work and school. What, What I can tell you, Dave, is try to avoid elaborate hellos and goodbyes, avoid constant physical contact, particularly with your dog. You want to praise calm behavior and praise your dog for sitting and being calm and you know, having some, some independence, being confident enough that he can enjoy the time when he's not directly with you. Um, if you know when your new schedule is going to start, you want to try to desensitize your pet. Uh, for example, give him or her departure cues, uh, putting on your jacket, playing with your car keys, uh, even brushing your teeth at times other than those when you're actually going to leave the home. And if you do those things slowly and gradually, that helps pets to become less dependent upon you and gain a little bit more self-confidence, uh, which is good. You know, there's pet videos, puzzle feeders, um, all kinds of diffusers and plug-ins that, that emit feromes uh, that are calming. Um, some of the essential oils, are chamomile and blue cypress con- combinations, uh, specific Formulated for pets. Um, They smell nice. You can put a couple drops right on your pet's back, kind of like having a little cup of wine. It just takes the edge off. Some people uh, resort to pharmaceutical products like Clobacom, which is far at the bottom of my list. Um, Other people resort to acupuncture. Hmm. But in general, a balanced, controlled relationship where you praise calm behavior and not making that huge fuss when you walk in the door uh, as well as when you leap in the morning. Uh, when it comes to cats, uh, some pet experts say that uh, even if you have a little catio, you know, one of those screened in uh, enclosures, take your kitty out there and sit with him for five or ten minutes and the cat will be a lot happier as well when it comes to exercise that is always the single best thing you can do before you leave for work even when you get home you know take your dog for a brisk walk play a game of ball whatever it is but after we exercise we're tired we tend to be well behaved and usually take a little bit of a nap (laughs)
0: <laughs> and are you seeing anything uh in regards to ongoing care for pets slipping during the pandemic or maybe weight gain uh you know not not following up on vaccinations and that kind of thing the biggest-
6: Pandemic, many people, first-time pet owners, have gone out and adopted pets. In fact, there's been an 80% increase in adoption rates. The trouble with that is many of these first-time pet owners are not only not savvy about what pets require to be safe and healthy, but many of them, uh, like many of us, uh, are, are facing economic hardship. So they don't realize that pets need certain vaccines, cetera, et cetera, et cetera in order to stay healthy. And I think that's the biggest problem that that we as veterinarians are facing, trying to get the education out, let people know that things like Parvo are real viral diseases that um, can cause a life and death situations. So don't be afraid to visit your vet, even talk to someone at a local shelter, just so you can kind of get the basics. Keep your pet healthy, feed them properly, and make sure everybody's safe.
0: Very good information. Dr. Carol Osborne, she's an integrative veterinarian from Chagrin Falls. Anything else you'd like to add?
6: We welcome pet phone calls and questions from dog and cat lovers all across the country. You can reach us toll-free at 1-866-DR-CAROL, and that's 372 you can also visit us online at drcarol.com, which is d r c a r o l.com.
0: Outstanding. Dr. Carol Osborne, uh, thanks so much for the information.
6: Thanks for having me, Dave.